Hello, and welcome to the Organize for Success podcast, the show where we provide organizing tips and solutions so you can get organized, simplify your life, and create more time so you can do the things you love to do. I am your host, Kath McEwen, and myself and my team help those with clutter clear their clutter, get organized, and pack and unpack. We help organize homes and offices and also help organize moves. So you ready? Let's get organized. Hey everyone, do I have a show for you? It was my absolute pleasure speaking with the one and only Dr. Robin Zazio from the hit show Hoarders. We discuss a variety of topics and I was going to list a few of them right now so you can get an idea of what we talk about, but you know what? I actually just want to dive right in so that you don't have to wait any longer. So here is my conversation with Dr. Robin Zazio. Hi, I'm super excited to have Dr. Robin Zazio on today's uh, show. I'm so happy to have you. So thank you so much for coming on board. Yeah, we've been looking forward to this for a long time, and I'm glad the day is finally here. Yay, I'm so excited. (laughs) I have so many questions for you. Um, So I thought I'd start off by just asking you a bit about yourself and how you even started in the field of psychology and sociology. Yeah, so it was kind of one of these things where I didn't know what to do. And of course, you know, it's been many years ago since um, I first started um, studying psychology. And I really just did it because I thought that's kind of like a girl thing. And that's what girls do is they go into psychology. Um, And, you know, I ended up getting a bachelor's and a master's and then getting my doctorate. So lots of schooling. Um, And I I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. In fact, I tell people, I know it sounds really silly, but if someone said you can't treat people with anxiety, I would probably retire because I just cannot imagine doing thing, anything else. It, it's such an incredibly um, rewarding area of mental health to work with. Yeah, I totally agree. And you're kind of right when you talk about uh, psychology being something that sometimes the women go into, because that's exactly what I, actually, I first started with computer programming, believe it or not. I told my dad I was going to school for psychology and he talked me into computer programming at the time. (laughs) It's the thing to do. So I did go to and get computer programming, but then I quickly went to university and said, I'm going for psych and sociology. So I know how you feel, but I certainly didn't go as far as you did. I I commend you. That's a lot of work. I know just as far as I went, it was huge amount of work. So good for you for going as far as you did. So that's amazing. It's amazing work. So now you just mentioned the word anxiety. So I'm assuming that's one of your specialties. Can you confirm? Is that right? Yeah, so uh, in 1999, um, myself and another doctor opened up um, a treatment facility called the Anxiety Treatment Center. Uh, We were the only one uh, really specialty program. Lots of people say they treat anxiety, but um, people don't realize it's an incredibly specialized field. And so we started this program and it took off and he ended up moving out of town. And so I started my own anxiety treatment center. And um, at the time, I actually converted a rental house that I had that was about 1,300 square feet because I wanted to be really safe because it was super scary, you know, having your own business. And um, we grew from from 1,300 square feet to uh, being in our own building now that has almost 14,000 square feet. Wow. Um, So we have about um, 32 people um, being treated on a daily basis uh, for some type of anxiety disorder, whether, whether it's OCD panic disorder, social anxiety disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, um, hoarding disorder, trichotillomania, which is hair pulling, um, excoriation disorder, which is skin picking, uh, separation anxiety, body dysmorphic disorder. Um, so we're, we're, anxiety is rampant. I mean, it's the uh, most common mental health condition um, in the United States. And um, unfortunately, a lot of people just aren't getting proper treatment and they're suffering needlessly. So um, I'm, I'm just so thrilled to have this program and to be able to help people uh, and to continue to grow. Wow, that's amazing. So you said that you have, you serve around 34 clients a day. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Yeah. So how many, how many therapists are on staff? And is this one building? Because I think at one time, did you not have three buildings at like one time or three different offices? Yeah, yeah. So we do actually have another office in Roseville, California, which is about a 25 to 30 minute drive from here. It's just across town. 
Um, and then we had another uh, facility in El Dorado Hills, which is about 15 minutes from here. But since we moved into this building and expanded so much, we actually closed that facility and brought everybody in here. And right. so we have about um, 11 therapists right now. And what makes our program um, unique too is it's we not only see people individually, but we have an intensive outpatient program. So they're coming in three hours a day, anywhere from three to five times per week. So it's a really intensive program where people get better pretty quickly. Well, that's fantastic. So you think that it's better to do the three hours three times a week or something than, because most time I find people go for an hour a once a week kind of thing. They show up for a session for an hour once a week. They know every Thursday I'm coming in to see my therapist. But so, but yours is very much intense. It's almost like um, condensed, yep. <laughs> you know, condensed version of, of therapy, which is, yes. uh, which is great. Do you find it's really overwhelming for them to participate in three hour long sessions or you find no. it works well? Yeah, it works really well because um, there is one hour of group and because the work that we do is so behavioral, meaning people are doing assignments or they're confronting okay. their peers, doing exposure therapy, um, that it really moves pretty quickly. Um, but, but at baseline, our population is pretty high functioning, meaning that their anxiety has kind of robbed them from school or work or social relationships and things like that. Um, so we really want to get them back to their life as soon as possible. Right. I can understand that for sure. So now you mentioned that um, a lot of them are highly functioning. What about hoarders? Did you working, do you still have the hoarding center as well? Yeah, that's or a part of our facility here in Sacramento. Okay. And um, it's, it's a program whereby um, we can not only go to their house to work with them, which is really helpful to be in the midst of their stuff and to be able to see it and um, really be able to get a good sense of what goes on for them. And then we have a lot of people who can just actually, you know, pack up a bunch of bags, bring them in and um, learn the skills to, um, to start purging while they're here. Um, and now with um, all the telehealth that's going on, um, we can start to do some, um, some virtual work by just, you know, sending that zoom into their, their home and kind of being able to um, without having to go there to be able to work with them. That's really good. I think that here where I am in Canada, they have some limitations to virtual mm -hmm. therapy. Uh, so I think some people were telling me that they cannot go onto Zoom for, for various reasons, but I think they may have a specialized system that they use. So it's good to know that even in the States that they are having virtual organizing, that makes it so much, it's probably so much easier too for them than having you in their home. Um, I know that when I've worked with hoarders, just walking into the home, they have anxiety because they feel so overwhelmed and they're afraid I'm going to touch something that they may not want me to or take something away, which I never do without asking their, their opinions first and what they think. But, but uh, knowing that you can work with them virtually is pretty, pretty darn cute. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that I just want to clarify, because some of your viewers might take offense to, um, you know, the word hoarders. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's important to remember that it's not a judgment, it's not a label, um, it's nothing that is intended uh, to be derogatory. I think it's really just kind of um, a, a term that, that has, has come up over time to kind of reference uh, the struggles that people are having. And so I just kind of want to give that caveat that, um, you know, it's not meant to, to be um, used in an offensive way um, when, if you hear me say it, um, or of course, if you're saying it, Kathy, it's just, um, it, it just describes um, a behavior that people are struggling with. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, a lot of people reference people as being hoarders with the yeah. quote hoarders and they really aren't. Like when I see what, who they're talking about, I'm like, that is not really one person who is even classified as hoarders. So I think what's happening now is the word hoarders is just t kind of grown so much that it's, it's not really defining who they are, right? It's, it's like you said, it's more that if they have these type of behaviors or tendencies, and we're going to talk about the difference between both of those in a bit. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I, the label, the word hoarders as a label, um, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with that as well, because I do find people can be offensive to it, for sure. So yeah, that's a very good yeah. point. 
And, and then there's that group of people who, who really are struggling with hoarding behaviors who say, you know what, I admit it, I'm a hoarder. And that's how they identify um, themselves. And, you know, I think it's kind of like OCD. You know, um, that's, a, that's a term that people really throw around a lot, like, oh, I'm so OCD. Yes. Or, you know, when somebody really is struggling with OCD, someone will say, oh, yeah, I have that problem too. Like, I remember last week when I was driving away, I couldn't remember if I closed the garage door, so I had to turn around and go back without realizing that that's just you didn't remember to close the garage door. Exactly. Um, that OCD is a terribly disabling um, condition that um, destroys many, many lives, fortunately very treatable. And people with hoarding behaviors or hoarding disorder um, are really struggling too. And it is a mental health condition that equally um, is treatable, um, but it is very hard. And so uh, we really try to do, well, we, we don't try, we do a lot of um, psychoeducation to our um, families um, of our patients that come in so that they can really understand that this is not somebody being selfish, it's not somebody who's being lazy, it's not somebody who doesn't care or love you. Um, you know, this is mental health. And, um, you know, we don't get mad at people who are depressed or schizophrenic. Um, and so we need to have that same compassion for people who are struggling with hoarding behaviors as well. Yeah, I agree. And when you're mentioning OCD, uh, I have a client that actually has MS and OCD. And she tells me that she would rather have MS and not have the OCD, that the OCD is actually a lot harder on her than the MS. So it's uh, it's really valid point that OCD can be um, very, very challenging for people. And I think that we hear a lot about MS in the world, but we don't see enough about um, the differences between people who have OCD and it's extremely challenging for some for sure and like you said it's not just that time when you forget to shut the door or yeah. you know go back and for check something a couple of times because you think you may have forgot it's totally unrelated to OCD for sure yeah yeah I agree so now in your book the hoarder in you how to live a happier healthier and cluttered life um, you talk about hoarding tendencies versus hoarding behaviors. And I was wondering if you could just explain the difference between the two. Well, I think um, it, you're really looking at the degree of, of it. Um, some people can struggle in certain areas, um, which um, that doesn't lend to the entire home um, getting out of control or filled um, versus behaviors which can be kind of on a continuum um, and and I think once someone has hoarding behaviors they're kind of in this area where um, it can potentially get very much out of control um, I think that um, it's really funny um, I've done many, many interviews, and I don't think I have this in my book, but um, at one point I had over 200 pairs of shoes, and I have this um, sort of tiered, um, kind of like a, a bookshelf type thing um, area in my closet, and once that got full with three layers of shoes piled up on each shelf all the way back, then I bought those little, those little ones, you know, that you can, you know, stack the shoes on and they were kind of to the left and then the right and they were filling up. And then it was a matter of, I can't find the, the shoe and I'm throwing them out, you know, looking one by one, trying to find it. Um, and at one point I got so sick and tired of doing this that I just took an afternoon and I pared my shoes down like by 75% because I was so sick and tired of it. And so many shoes that I wasn't even wearing. And I think that like in that area of shoes, I have those tendencies, um, but there's, there's nothing else um, in my world that I have excess of. In fact, I'm, I'm really somewhat, I like nice things, but I'm really somewhat of a frugal person. So, you know, I have two horses and a donkey and I'm not, you know, buying excessive stuff that I really don't need. Like, oh, I have a red pad and a blue pad and a green pad and you have to have like every color of pad. Um, that I'm really able to say, you know, I have X amount of pads and, you know, I don't need any more, you know, writing pads. I don't need any more. Um, so someone who struggles with more with hoarding behaviors and then get on that continuum um, might not have that ability to stop and resist the acquisition. Right. So it's a matter of how much they're acquiring and 
Yeah, I guess if it's like you mentioned, 200 pairs of shoes is a lot, but it's not affecting your daily life, right? Your rest of your house was fine and you're able to function properly and have a good life and home environment. So that's more the tendencies versus the behaviors is more when they collect a lot more so that it's actually making a difference in their lives. Yeah, but I would have to say, Kathy, that it was it was not not like to a serious degree, but it was impacting my life just with respect to, you know, getting dressed in the morning and having an idea of a, a particular pair of shoes that I wanted to uh, wear and having to go search and look and then can't find them. And now, gosh, I got to change my outfit. Or I, you know, it's just it, that's why I, I, I like I said, I have that that kind of slogan of I was just getting sick and tired of being sick and tired. And. Um, and I've never, ever looked back and gone, oh, my gosh, I wish I hadn't got rid of that pair of shoes or, oh, wow, you know, that was really dumb. Why was I so impulsive and got, you know, that kind of thing. So it's it's actually quite liberating um, yes. to start organizing and cleaning up. It just it just feels really good. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and I guess you're, that's true what you're talking about, because you know, you probably couldn't find that pair of shoes when you needed it, right? So it's nice to be able to come in, have everything shown, easy access, you're able to grab it when you need it, and you don't have too much. Yeah. So tell me about your horses and your donkey. I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I got my first horse when I was nine and um, went into hunters and jumpers and showed and traveled all over California, um, you know, showing. Um, and then, you know, a um, little later in my teens, I got away from it and then college and this, that or whatever. And um, now that I'm older and um, want to have, you know, quality of life with respect to not working all the time and um, having balance, um, I ended up getting back into horses again and showing. And um, so I have one horse that um, like took me straight to the top. We, we were like always top in our division and um, did really well. So I retired him and then I brought a horse over at Frisian from Holland, flew him over. Um, and then one day I just, I don't know where it came from. I just decided I wanted a donkey and found this, this little donkey farm and, uh, it's a miniature donkey. Like she can walk between my legs. She's so tiny. So it's really fun. You know, she's, she's like a little doggy, you know, when she sees me, she brays and when it's breakfast time, she lets me know. And so it's really fun. It keeps me, keeps me busy. Oh, that's great. Awesome. Okay, so now one of the things you talk about in your book is deprivation. And um, so do you find that a lot of people collect things and maybe bring in so many things because they didn't have it when they were growing up? So the the reality is, is that over 50% of people who are struggling with hoarding disorder usually have some kind of trauma in their past. Yeah. and um, you know, when, when you are acquiring things, whether or not you have these behaviors or not, um, there's, there's, there's a, a level of activation that happens um, for somebody. They, they, they feel good. Oh my gosh, this is such a good deal. Oh my gosh, I've never seen this before. Oh my gosh, um, you know, if I don't buy it now, um, I may never see it again. So there's all these th- thought processes that go through in the acquisition. And when people are struggling with some type of trauma, um, it can be very unconscious that they're using the acquisition to kind of cover up and, and not have to face or deal with it. Um, so I just kind of wanted to throw that out. Now with deprivation, um, there can be a very serious impact. And as people get older and they do have the means to acquire things, um, whether it be on the side of the road or a clearance store, even in a dumpster or people who are, you know, giving it away, yard sales. Um, it's, it's this, the sense of um, sort of making up for what you didn't have. Um, but the problem is, is that whatever psychological impact that deprivation had, they're not really dealing with it because they're, they're just trying to kind of fill it up, if you will. Right. Yeah, an example of this is uh, sometimes when some people didn't have a lot of toys, for example, growing up, 
And then they tend to, when they have their children, they want to make sure they don't have the same environment they grew up in with no toys. And I've seen it before where they bring a lot of toys in the house because they say they didn't have toys when they were growing up. So that's one example of uh, some, some type of, I guess it's like a deprivation, right? Where they feel deprived. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you'll see this both with, um, you'll see this with adults who, you know, I'll go in and I'll see lots of childlike stuff and I'll be going, you know, and then they, and they might not have children. Yeah. Um, and then, then you might also see parents who might've uh, been raised um, with deprivation and they don't want their children to feel like that. So they're giving them excessive stuff too. Mm-hmm. I once had um, a case where I was working with somebody who um, was raised in a very, very large family. Um, it's been a while, but I think there was like nine in the family and that's a lot of mouths to feed. And what would happen is, is when the food would go on the table, if you weren't sitting there in the moment, the other kids would take your food and eat it. And so like you had to be right there if you were going to get your full plate of food. And so later as an adult, when she was in a relationship, she would be, when she would go to get her food, she was the first one to get the food. She would sit down and pretty much before anybody else sat down, her meal was gone because it was, she was sort of living in that same place of, I don't want somebody to take my food. And that's silly because no one was going to take her food. Um, But that's an example of kind of a trauma reaction. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And so one more thing that I noticed in your book that you talk about is collecting versus stockpiling. And does that also have to do with um, having more than just a collection of items? Well, the the thing to remember when we talk about a collection, there's usually a system to collecting. Um, There might be, you know, five in a series or 10 or 20, um, that kind of thing. And when one collects, they are looking to um, display them in some way, honor them in some way, organize them in some way, admire them in some way. Um, when you're stockpiling, you're really um, getting things for future use. Um, so like, this is an interesting time that we're having this interview because that's what people did in response to the shelter in place is they started stockpiling, they started panicking. Um, and that had a serious, serious impact on society um, because it really <laughs> resulted in, in deprivation in some ways for other people because people were so reactive. So they're actually very different behaviors versus somebody who's struggling with hoarding behaviors, whereby there's um, sort of lots of cognitive distortions associated with the items. And um, with hoarding, we see um, generally some type of attachment to their stuff. Um, and attachment can look different. It can be emotional. Um, it can be fear-based. Um, it can be related to um, creativity um, in that I'm going to fix this someday. Um, you know, it can, it can really, really vary. And so, um, you know, I think for any one of us, it's really important that we look at what is driving our um, our acquisition when it starts to get um, you know either either out of control or excessive um, and 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 going back to collecting you know I can't even tell you how many homes I've gone into where I've seen you know in some cases even thousands of, of items uh, there was one woman um, when um, <clears throat> I was on the hoarder show uh, who was collecting dolls just to name one and I don't know if you saw that episode but she had thousands and thousands of dolls they had taken over like they were just stacked even up to the ceiling and that's that's not a collection because you can't um, value and take care of those items when you know there's dolls that are eight feet down, seven feet down, six feet down, that they're being walked on, stepped on, and that kind of thing. And so um, I think, you know, to remember just collecting is really, there. there is a a fairly strategic system in in what people will bring in. Right. And so would you also say that people who are collectors 
um, they're often proud of what they have. They're, they like to show it off and they, they like to display it, like you said, and show people and invite people in to see their, their collection. But then if it gets to the point where you're talking about where it's no longer a collection, it's getting to be thousands and thousands of dolls for that example, then do you find that those people are more embarrassed to have people come in? It's not at that collection stage anymore where they're really excited to show people their collections or do you, do you find that the person, for example, who had a thousand dolls was still excited about showing their dolls or did it get to the point where they were more embarrassed than excited? You know, I don't really think that it's, um, it kind of goes a, a, a tendency towards one, one way or the other um, because there's lots of people who will, emphatically stick to being a collector when it's clear that they're struggling with hoarding behaviors, um, but they won't let people into the house because they do realize it's an excessive amount of what they will call collection. Um, and then there's other people who will stand by it and say, you know, yeah, I know there's a lot of stuff, but you know, I'm really proud of this stuff. And, you know, on, on both ends equally, when we start to go through this stuff, you can definitely see um, how they are uh, talking about their stuff and proud of their stuff and, and you can you can see the activation that happens when they're talking about their stuff right and now you mentioned uh, the show hoarders so that is so exciting that you're on the hit show short hoarders and um, so I'm just curious how it actually works so our were all the tapings in California or were you able to go to different states or how was that did that work? You know, at one point I actually printed out a map of the United States and I was going to yeah. kind of start going back and looking um, at where I've been. And I, I actually think I've been to all 52 states now. Um, oh. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been a part of this amazing project um, for, <clears throat> gosh, I want to say it's about 13 years now. It, it may be a little bit more. It's so hard to believe. Um, but I came on <clears throat> into their second season. And um, I pretty much represented almost 50% um, of the people who have been selected to be a part of the show. Wow, that's thrilling. That's very exciting, actually. You're making a huge impact on a lot of lives, which is really amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it really has saved so many lives. The, the people that we're going out to help are, are in very serious crisis. You know, their, their home, um, is, is deteriorating, um, CPS may be breathing down their back, APS, fire department, code enforcement. And um, it's, it, it really is so incredibly uh, rewarding and an honor to be able to go out and help these people and, and restore not only um, their homes, but their, their lives and their relationships. And, um, you know, some of them uh, agree to work with us and we'll get out there and then they have changed their mind. And, you know, um, that's a shame because, it, you know, they're not ready, which we understand because right. it is quite a process. Um, but, you know, I think that it, it has really um, saved many, many lives. And, um, you know, it's funny because I've been asked the question a couple times, do you guys stage this? Do you do you put all that stuff in the house and stage it? And no. I tell them, no, this is this is very real, real. Um, and it is so amazing that somebody could get to that place. And you know, I just keep going back to this is this is a mental health issue, and that's what you have to remember. Um, you know, how is it that you know a basic instinct is to stay alive? Uh, but yet people with depression will get to a point where they will actually take their own lives. You know, that just represents how extreme um, things can get for people. Yeah, that's very true. So how long does it take? Because we see it all happen in an hour. But how long does it actually take, like, when you start filming? Or you, do you go in before filming, meet with the client just to go over how things are going to work? Or do you just get put on there and do your magic? Yeah, um, so prior to going out, um, they, they will call me and tell me that, um, you know, we have this person, this is what's going on, this is where they live, um, and I'll get a general gist and um, some pictures and um, a little bit of, um, you know, their, their history. 
Um, but that very first moment that I walk in the door um, when they're filming is the very first time I've been in the house. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so I just, um, I really want it to be a very um, genuine um, show. And um, so, so sometimes some therapists will go in ahead of time. They want to see it. They want to know what they have in mind. Um, but when I'm opening that door, it is for the first time. And when we go out, um, usually it's anywhere from five to seven days. Um, but keeping in mind that there is, um, you know, usually two full days of travel. Um, so, um, you know, there's one day of just, you know, doing a tour of the house and, um, and then we kind of dive in and start working and do what we can in as much, much time as we can with the crew that we have. And, uh, so is the show still taping? Like how, like if, say they do 16 episodes, do they do that all in a few months or, and then do they start taping again the following year or does it once a month? Like how does that work? It, it really varies. Um, sometimes what'll happen is, is we will tape a season. Um, it can be eight episodes. It can be 10, it can be 20. It just depends on what the network calls for. Um, and then during that season, they might green light another season. And so we'll just keep going and film into the next season. Um, and then sometimes we have down periods like right now. Um, and it can be a month, two months. Um, I think that, well, I don't think I know that COVID um, has definitely changed things because we can't go into people's homes and we can't be flying and we have to be safe. Um, so yeah, we've, we've been down for quite a while now. Um, but I anticipate um, uh, people will be seeing us again soon. Yes. And they're going to need you for sure. <laughs> um, I'm wondering if a lot of people are doing online shopping at this time because it's the only way to shop basically um, is the online shopping. You know, that is a great question. And that was something that I had proposed um, to one of our producers just as we've been communicating, thinking that, gosh, you know, um, a lot of people struggling with hoarding behaviors are still getting up. They're going to work. So, you know, that's like 10 hours or more out of your day by the time you get up, shower, have breakfast, drive to work, go to work, come back, you know, wind down, have dinner. Um, now people are stuck in their homes. And like, you know, just think if you were in an apartment, like you can't go anywhere. You know, I just, I feel so grateful that we are an essential business and that we are up and running and I can come to work every day um, and that I have my ranch and countless projects to do. Um, COVID has really, um, had very little impact on me, but for people who are stuck in their homes, gosh, what a better way to spend the time than browsing the internet and, and Amazon will be here in two days to drop off your, your delivery. And, um, you know, so I don't have any information on that because I haven't been, um, working with a lot of people with hoarding disorder right now. Um, again, just because people are kind of in, in lockdown, um, but I think it's definitely an interesting theory. I know that for myself, um, when I had some downtime, I would kind of start to surf on the internet and, and not even looking for anything in particular, just looking to see if anything appealing mm -hmm. pops up. And, and then I would go, what are you doing? You don't need anything. Why are you doing this? And then I would just stop and walk away and go, okay, that's really dumb. <laughs> So do you know what the statistics are for those who have hoarding behaviors? You know, there are, I, I've heard so many different numbers, mm -hmm. um, you know, four to 6 million people in the United States, 6% um, of the population, like, you know, it, it, it's constantly changing because um, I do believe because of the show hoarders, um, and more media attention to it that more people, I mean, I honestly have to say that in a given year prior to the hoarder show, I don't even think I would get one call a year from someone who was looking for help. And that completely changed, which is why we developed the compulsive hoarding center. Um, but, um, I think that there are those people that we know about. And then there's those people who are, who are suffering in silence because of fear of so many things, you know, people judging them, shame, embarrassment, um, you know, taking their children out of the home, code enforcement. And, you know, the one thing that I really think is important to know is that 
you know, CPS are not the bad guys. APS are not the bad guys. The police are not the bad guys. Code enforcement, fire department, they're not the bad guys. There are laws and there's rules. And we, have, we all equally have to follow them. And when they're violated, they have to do their job. But they're not doing it in a way that is in some kind of pleasurable um, act. You know, they don't want to take their children out. They don't want to take you out of the home. They want to keep you in your home. And they uh, want you to be so safe. They want you to be safe too, right? But uh, not only them, but the people living with them and the people around them. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have these situations that are fire hazards, you know, it, it's a danger to you and it's a danger um, to the community as well. And, um, you know, I think it's easy for any one of us to kind of forget um, when we're doing behaviors that can have an impact on other people. And, um, you know, these are the things that sometimes we have to talk to people about to try to kind of help motivate them and to see how important it is um, for so many reasons, not just for their own um, emotional and physical health, but, um, you know, for, for everybody uh, around them. And, um, you know, again, um, it's, that's a lot easier said than done. Um, but, you know, a lot of people have gotten better and with more media attention, um, I think that more people have really been willing to, uh, to, to seek help. Now, like anxiety disorders, there are not a lot of people who understand how to help people um, who are struggling with these behaviors. And, um, you know, if you've ever watched the show, you will hear me, um, you know, at least every show say, it, um, you know, this is not about a cleanup. Um, this is not about getting rid of your stuff. This is not about a makeover. This is about you understanding why um, you're, you, you've gotten to this state and that we have to uncover the psychological factors that are contributing to the problem. And then we can start to um, look at, at getting rid of your stuff. But there's training that happens. Um, there's, you know, not only the, the, the trauma or factors leading to it, but there's also a number of cognitive distortions that people get stuck in. And, you know, we've talked about those, like, you know, I can fix it. I'm going to regret it if I let it go. It was a goodbye. And those are all cognitive distortions because, you know, when you have a broken chair that's been in your home for 10 years, it is highly unlikely that you're going to fix it. You know, when you go to the dollar store and you buy, you know, 10 of something that, you know, you really don't even need one of, or you already have um, one of, like, you know, even though it's a dollar, it's not a good deal because once you add whatever seven, eight percent tax onto it, now it's a dollar eight, you multiply that times 10. Now you've got, you know, 12 ish dollars of stuff that you're not going to even use. So we have to help them understand that piece so that they can stop bringing things in and acquiring. And then what will happen is when we get to the purging uh, process that they need to start calling up those cognitive distortions. So, you know, we're sitting here holding this chair. How long have you had this chair? You know, 10 years and you're going to fix it. So if you haven't fixed it in 10 years, what do you think the likelihood is that you're going to fix it moving forward? And when we point these things out, that's really when the light bulbs kind of start to go on. But, you know, they can't walk them through this all on their own. Um, and, okay. and, you know, at the same time, there's different degrees because I've had many people reach out to me saying, oh, my gosh, your book saved my life. Wow. Uh, because it's very easy read. It walks you through. Steps. It talks about family members and what they can do to help. Um, and, you know, watching the Hoarders show that, you know, my job is to um, teach them why they're in this place and what they can do. And then we've got the organizers who then are, you know, really the manpower to, um, you know, start dealing with the stuff that goes out. Right. Yeah. So that's a really good point because, um, Personally, when I'm working with clients, I have some clients that I can give them because right now we're trying to do virtual because I'm not really going into clients' homes. Mm -hmm. So we're going uh, virtually on calls and I can have some clients where I can give them a step-by-step -step of what they need to do and then they'll, I'll check back in with them to see how they're doing and then they may have like, for example, 10 wooden spoons and I'm she's having a hard time letting go of those 10 wooden spoons and I can walk, talk to her about the different spoons and why she's keeping them 
but she's able to go on her own and do a lot of it on her own. Whereas I also have some clients where I can't let them go on their own because I know they need us there every step of the way. So it's yeah. interesting how some people can take direction and go forward, uh, whereas others, they need you there every step of the way to talk them through what their decisions are on what to keep and what not to. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember that's very fear-based, you know, um, and, and that's really where the family members need to understand because the tendency is to badger, to get angry, to yell, to name call um, without realizing that it's, it's being driven by anxiety. Mm -hmm. And when, when you're scared, the tendency is to flight. It's the tendency, you know, when you're in these situations is not to fight. And so that handholding can be really, really helpful. I mean, sometimes what I'll do is just get to the point where we start with something like, you know, let's identify the area that we're going to start. Let's identify what your anxiety level is. We give them an anxiety rating scale and we start with the lower levels first. Um, and, you know, even at the lower levels, maybe they'll say it's a one, but they still can't give it up. And I'll say, well, how about if we do this? Would you let me take this item with me? And I want you to kind of track what happens until I see you again. You know, are you not sleeping? Are you not eating? Can you think about anything else? You know, and I assure them that I will not throw it away. That would be very unethical. And that, you know, if they ask for it back, I will give it back to them. But let's do this little exercise. And um, I'll come back the next day. And most of the time, I don't bring it up. And, and they have forgotten about it and they don't bring it up. And yeah, so I yeah. just hold on to it. And either, you know, at some point when I see them, they'll go, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that X, Y, Z. Do you still have it? Yep, I still got it. Wow, I can't, I can't, you know what I mean? And it's a really good exercise to do. Just like the, um, the non-acquiring shopping excursions that we do where we take them out to stores and we have them um, walk by and, and walk us through you know, why they're wanting to select things, what's going on, how are they feeling, uh, what's your anxiety level. And, you know, that's a really um, amazing process because um, you can just be in real time with them um, in the areas that they struggle with in the acquisition phase and be able to, to have them walk themselves through, um, you know, what's happening for them. Wow, that's actually a good point taking them shopping and working it with them through it. Um, well, you know, Kathy, in my book, I, I'm pretty sure I put this story in my book where um, I was working with somebody and we were out on an excursion and she, um, we went into the grocery store and, you know, they have these very strategically placed um, um, cart, grocery carts right at the door, you know, with clearance or sale or that kind of thing. So you walk in like you're, you're hit with it right away. And so um, this particular person was so excited because there was this chocolate cake that was on sale. So I said, okay, before we grab this chocolate cake, walk me through why you want this. It's in the clearance, it's expired. Um, you know, what are you thinking? And so she says, well, um, I'm getting, and, and I asked, do you eat chocolate cake? No, then why are we getting this? She says, well, what if um, somebody comes by, a guest comes by my house, you know, I want to have something to offer them. So I asked, well, who is this mystery guest? And she says, well, I, I don't know of anybody, but if somebody does stop by, I would want to offer them something. So here we have an expired cake for a guest that we don't even have a date in which they might come by, right? And so, so this is just a great example of walking her through, like, you know, it's $8.99 and it's expired and you don't have anybody coming over, anybody to serve it to. So it's likely that this $8.99 plus tax cake is going to be thrown in the garbage, mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, and, and so the anxiety is about not getting this cake and be, be having it available for someone. But when they walk it through, it's like, oh, yeah, that does make a lot of sense. You know, if you want to have something for this mystery guest, let's get you know, a package of cheese and crackers that, you know, will not expire right away and something that you would eat then if this mystery guest does not show up. Right. Yeah. It's that what if, and what if somebody yeah. comes by and, uh, 
and I don't have that chocolate cake. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. Do you find that there's more men versus women? Is it equal? Um, people who have a hard time letting go? You know, there, there again are statistics around that. Um, I haven't really found um, much difference, I would say, in terms of people who have come into the program, mm -hmm. that I have uh, seen uh, many more women who have come in. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, there's, there's statistics out there, but I just, it's one of those things where, like, how many people have the flu? Well, there's so many people that have the flu that don't seek treatment, so you really can't get any kind of accurate reading. Yeah, I, I can understand that for sure. So I have two last questions, actually three more questions. And the one, they're actually two from my community. So I kind of put it out there and I just chose two. But one, one of my uh, ladies asked, what is the best way to help a hoarder who hoards because they can't be bothered to clean because it isn't a good use of their time? So to me, when I read that, I'm thinking, is it, if the, somebody's saying it's not a good use of their time, they're probably just not ready to let the stuff go. Would you agree? I would definitely tend to agree with that. Um, you know, the biggest um, offender to uh, people struggling with hoarding behaviors is procrastination. Mm -hmm. I'll do it later, I'll get to it, but that never happens. Um, and it's kind of like my analogy of no one ever wants to clean the cat box. Like it's stinky, it's messy, it's not a pleasant activity. So you're gonna wanna avoid it till it gets so unbearable. Um, but the reality is, is you took on this cat and you have a responsibility to give it a clean environment to go to the bathroom. So let's not wait until it gets so bad um, that you're forced to do it. Um, but that's oftentimes what we see is um, people come up with lots of reasons why um, they're not going to do this. But I think it's kind of a defense to not have to go through that difficult process. Um, at the same time, I think that we have to give people credit that they may not know how to do it. And that's why um, working with someone who can help you to understand why you are so stuck and help them to move through it. Because at the end of the day, if they could get rid of their stuff, they would. Yeah. And so I think that that's why I hear from so many people that, you know, I read your book and I got all these tips and tools or, you know, I get, I get so many emails from people that just say, thank you so much. Um, all the tools that I've seen you do on the hoarder show has really helped me to kind of put together a plan and understand why I'm doing this and what I need to do to get my life in order. Many people will say I'm not by any means where I need to, to be. Um, but I've, I've started to tackle the process. So you know, with anything in life, Kathy, I think that, you know, balance is really important and um, being able to take care of yourself and your physical environment is equally important. Um, I think there's, there's no, no better feeling at the end of the day when you come home and you walk in and your house is in order. Um, you know, uh, physical, um, the physical stuff uh, really creates a lot of emotional stuff. You know, you walk in, there's stuff everywhere. You feel exhausted. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to do this. Um, and it doesn't, it, it's like, it just doesn't let your home be your, your castle kind of thing. Exactly. It's not a great environment to live in. It's not, it's, I always say like being organized is like having a breath of fresh air. So, you know, when you walk into your home, you want to feel uplifted and feel calm and peaceful in your own environment. And, uh, yeah, it's, oh, there's nothing better than having a home organized and it helps your mind clutter everything, right? It's Yeah. And, and you know, Kathy, like I can see the, the back of your office and it's very organized and neat. But honestly, like if it was chaotic, like with boxes and clothes hanging over it and bags of stuff, like I think I'd have a really hard time focusing on you because I will be seeing all that chaos. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And that's why I always say that people are way more productive too when they can be able to find things. And if they have a pile of, like you said, clothes on the floor and this and that, it's just, it's hard to be productive. It's hard to find their items when they need it. Um, there's so many benefits to being organized. That's for sure. Um, the next question is, what is the best way to handle hereditary hoarders? The parents kept everything and now the grown kids buying things and keeping so much stuff just in case they or someone else may need that extra barbecue or extra wood, etc. You know, I, I think that, you know, whatever is leading to 
the problems with acquisition and difficulty letting go, um, the treatment is going to be the same. You've got to uncover why. You've mm -hmm. got to start identifying those cognitive distortions, and then you've got to start applying um, the cognitive distortions when you're going through your stuff. Um, there just really isn't any any other way to go. I mean, there's definitely those people, um, I suppose, that could just say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know, kind of like in my situation, and I just pounded it all out. Um, I don't think that there was anything psychological to my shoes. Um, otherwise, I just um, get so excited when I see that great parent, I want to bring it home and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but I think, you know, whatever is driving the behavior, it's so important to try to, to, to figure out what you need to do to, to try to halt it and then start, start dealing with it. Um, yeah. Awesome. So I have a question that I meant to ask you earlier really quickly. So now you mentioned that you can do virtual, I call it virtual counseling. Mm -hmm. Um, are you able to do out of state? So for example, if I had a client that I was working with that could really use your help, um, would that person who's say in Canada be able to reach out to your office for help? Or do you tend to stick mainly in the California area? Um, right now, um, I'm, I'm really doing more administrative work than seeing patients for the most part, just because there's a lot to running a business and making exactly. sure everything is running yeah. well and efficient and patients are being taken care of as well as staff. Yeah. Um, there are some provisions um, in the Board of Psychology um, whereby there's like a, a, a certain amount of hours that can be allocated to working out of state. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, and, and every licensure is different in every state. Um, can have their their own sort of rules around that, um, but there is there are provisions for that. Okay, good to know. So my last question for you, and I'm so thankful for you to be on. Like, honest to goodness, I've learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have as well. You're a joy to work with um, through this, and it's been great. So my last question is, where can our listeners reach out to? your therapy sessions or sorry your um, centers if they wanted to or can they hop on any social media are you on social media at all um, they'll tune into hoarders are they going to still see you on hoarders yeah yeah um reruns are definitely um happening um i just got a text from from somebody that i know and said I'm in shelter in place. I mean, literally like before this interview and she said, you just popped up on the TV. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so there's definitely reruns happening right now. Um, I think they have the marathons, um, as well. Um, but I am in Sacramento, California. And uh, again, I'm the owner and director of the anxiety treatment center. We have an office in Sacramento and Roseville and our website is anxiety treatment and um, that's the best way really to um, get information about what we do, how we work, and um, contact information. Okay, great. And I'll put the, a link in our show notes to your website as well. So, well, thank you so much. This was so much fun. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come and visit us today. Absolutely, Kathy. Thank you so much. And you take care and be safe. Thank you. So wasn't that great? Thank you again, Dr. Robin Zazio. And hey, by the way, listeners, if you have someone you would love for me to interview that will help you with your organizing journey, please shoot me a message and let me know. I am here for you and want to help in any way I can. Also, if you enjoy the Organize for Success podcast, will you be so kind as to subscribe and leave a review and share with your friends who may like it as well? Okay, everyone, stay safe and we'll chat next time. Bye.